You're listening to Lit After Dark, the podcast where three English teachers nerd out while they analyze Netflix's Dark. This week, we're looking at Season 1, Episode 4, Double Lives. Charlotte begins to struggle with the fact that everything seems to be repeating itself from her youth, and we learn of the deep issues that lie beneath the surface of the Doppler family. Jonas explores the Caves of Winden, but finds a dead end. The Stranger then alters his map. Magnus follows Francisca around Winden extremely suspiciously, and confronts her in an empty locker room where they have sex. All that plus our analytical takes on this episode of Lit After Dark. I don't know about you, but I would say that this is the best episode of Dark up to this point. Really? The first episode was really good. The second episode, I think, was better. The third, because it started to get back into exposition, I think was weaker. But then they came back hard, hard with episode four. Guns blazing. Interesting. I didn't find this one terribly different than the others. I enjoyed three a lot, I think. I enjoyed because it. Because it was just so different. I enjoyed it. I, I, I didn't... This is like degrees of greatness, but mm. I mean, and one of the things I think the reason perhaps this is still my, my lost <laughs> fandom showing, uh, but part of the reason I really love it is because there are so many mysteries that we learn the answers to, like we continually get answers. And sometimes within the episode, they create a mystery that they answer either a moment later or like within the episode itself. So like you were saying, Josh, at the end of, for the first episode, Mikkel is gone and the second episode begins and he is in Mm -hmm. 1986 and we know it already. Like it's not this breadcrumb that we have to chase after the entire season. It's so good at creating these mysteries that we get to explore and know the answers to. And it just creates such a sense of like, wow, what are the big mysteries then? Like when are we going to learn about that? And we are going to learn and there are answers. I don't know. It's just, I love that feeling. They do a great job. It's amazing how they continue to bring up more questions, and yet they continue to just, like you said, leave that breadcrumb trail where we keep (laughs) picking up each one, eating it, enjoying it. (laughs) And then we want to binge to the next episode, but we can't because we're doing a podcast and we need to be (laughs) slow about it. (laughs) Oh, yep. That's the first, like, 30 seconds of episode five started playing, and I feel like that's going to be the best episode for me. Just on. We sacrifice for you. <laughs> I know. And I feel like episode four was good. I don't think it was the best one to me so far as a first time viewer, but it was too complex. Like I had to really pay super close attention to make sure I was following exactly what was happening. But I loved that some of my questions were answered. That was great. I still think that episode one stands out as like, this is such good storytelling. But what I noticed, and I don't know why I didn't pick up on this in the last episode as much, is these episodes live up to their titles. Like, Hmm. really well. Particularly this one, I think. That's really interesting because I feel like we talked about in episodes one and two how it didn't feel like that. I Secrets and lies. Secrets and lies. We didn't find many lies i remember talking about that but i feel like at least episode three 
and this episode hold up to their titles like for sure through every single character and storyline so well and next episode is called truths <laughs> i'm so excited I, for it <laughs> wait. i seriously cannot wait well you've been listening for some indeterminate amount of time at this point this voice that you're hearing is tommy and i'm josh and i am jen and uh, welcome to Lit After Dark. We are talking about the show Dark. Uh, Josh and I have watched the show, but we are keeping it spoiler-free for our dear friend Jen, who is journeying into the dark with us for the first time. Uh, and we are going to talk about this amazing show. I mean, this is episode four, so you know what we do here. We're going <laughs> to open up with Lit Takes, and that's where we're going to really start talking about the episode in earnest, some notable things that we notice. It will mostly be focused on character by character, maybe sort of chronological, but it's pretty much a free-for-all. And we have just got to start with the beginning at this point. I feel like a lot of images and sounds are really front-loaded here. Do you want to read the opening quote for us? Yeah. All right. So the episode opens with the following quote from an unknown voice. I don't, genuinely, I don't know who says this. Black holes are considered to be the hellmouths of the universe. Those who fall inside disappear forever. But where to? What lies behind a black hole? Along with things, do space and time also vanish there? Or would space and time be tied together and be part of an endless cycle? What if everything came, that came from the past were influenced by the future? Every single sentence of that is mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. My favorite is, do space and time also vanish there? (laughs) That concept breaks my brain. (laughs) And what's really funny about this is this goes after the brain-breaking version of looking at how time is weird. Mm -hmm. Whereas my mostly when I look at these things, it's like silly interpretations of time travel. And it's like, back to the future, and you stole the almanac. Or it's the good (laughs) place, and time is Jeremy Baramy. Or it's Doctor Who and it's Wibbly Wobbly. Like, this is the first show for me that has really kind of attacked the wild aspects of time travel and space and time disappearing. And what would it mean for space and time itself to vanish? It does it very intellectually is what I feel like in the grand scheme of time travel stories. And I'm just makes me intrigued as to where is it going to go and what am I going to learn? Would that this putty be a time putty? <laughs> not that far. <laughs> Sweet That's community not reference. this show. Community. <laughs> uh, we're staying relevant. Community's trending right now. Like oh, that. for sure. More shows I don't watch. God. Man, I would rewatch that. Sh- I am rewatching that show. <laughs> we will not rewatch that show together. Yeah, we don't <laughs> need to do a podcast <laughs> on community. That would be that would be wild. <laughs> So after we get this super mind-boggling quote, which I should say is told over images of the bunker at night with light coming out of the bunker and like looking at the wallpapered bunker with the crazy machine and all of that, clearly implying that they're trying to make a black hole? I said clearly and then I asked it as a question. honestly don't know. That – beginning scene was confusing to me in all honesty well because then that's not the only image right we get yeah. the we get this weird metal 
something that has sick mundus we see mm-hmm. and then later on a tattoo on a dude's back who i don't think we know who has this tattoo am i wrong about that well we definitely haven't seen the tattoo no yeah. one's taking their shirt off well except for yeah except for <laughs> one except for the stranger who we've discussed his abs at length yeah <laughs> They're very important. Well, and we know at this point it's also not Francisca. She does not have the back tat. Oh, jeez. Um, we'll get to that, perhaps. And also, so we see that the whole quote is Sic mundus creatus est, which is Latin, and you'd better believe I looked it up. It means, thus the world was created. Mm-hmm. Thus the world was created. And there's this weird triangle knot thing, you know what I'm talking about? The three... Mm-hmm. It looks appear- very Irish. Yeah, was it Celtic? I've seen, yeah, Celtic, um, not like art. I've seen a lot of that sort of stuff. I looked it up, and it is called a you? triketra knot. You looked it up as well? No. Oh. <laughs> it's called a triketra knot, and it is supposed to symbolize, I mean, everything that this show symbolizes. Beginnings and endings feeding into one another. You have the doubling, the repetition, how everything is always interconnected. That is what this symbol is supposed to uh, evoke. And so that's, I thought that that was very appropriate. Everything that this show does continues to confirm my instinct, which is to assume that things are purposeful. And everything that this show does confirms that it is a worthwhile endeavor yeah. to assume that. Yeah. Which is just an English teacher's dream. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I agree. Because oftentimes students will just be like, uh, whatever, this is dumb. And we're like, no, authors make choices for reasons. Well, why did they do this? I think because of this reason. <laughs> But now we get a show that is obviously so purposeful and mm-hmm. so well-crafted that everything has meaning. At least we think. At least we think. I assume so. And the last symbol that I just want to talk about, the last image, is the inside of the bunker. We get these little pinecone men that, that it like focuses up on, which come back later when I believe his name is Yasin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, is talked to by some mysterious oh, figure <laughs> in the woods. Both children in this episode who are like, I'm not a baby, prove why you should just listen to your parents. Is that Dark's theme? <laughs> listen to yeah, your parents. Yeah, I think that's the overall theme. <laughs> listen to your parents. Yeah, so that's that's the end of the, the opening chunk. I just thought we needed to spend a, a good amount of time on it because it felt so significant, yeah. all of those things. Would you guys argue that the main character of this episode is Charlotte or Charlotte, as you guys would say. <laughs> I thank you for bringing that up because I just, I need to make fun of you for insisting. On wait, 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 excuse me. I'm going to go have some jalapeno dip with marshmallow <laughs> chips. <laughs> That's how I feel. This is Stop. clearly different. I agree. How? <laughs> Actually, I agree with Tommy. This is the first time you agree with me. <laughs> Write it down. This actually is important. My sister does that. She speaks Italian and she will speak. Per- she grew up in America and learned Italian later. But anytime she says any Italian word, it's always like, so I was walking along and I saw the spaghetti. Puttanesca. Yeah. Like it's, it's always, it's always so extreme. 
So let's return to your question. Uh, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I, I mean, I, as I was coming up with the kind of outline that we have for talking about the episode, most of it is is Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Charlotte. And while there are it. bits with Jonas and Ulrich and Pita, I noticed that mostly what we're going to talk about is is Charlotte's journey today. Which is great. I feel like every episode so far has kind of focused on a different, different direction. That's true. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about the part where she takes the wildlife camera. There was a couple things that I found very interesting about that, but n- neither of which probably are going to amount to anything. <laughs> I just want to talk about them. She's leaving the car, and by the way, Really weird that she just that steps out so of her car. Weird. Is there no other drivers in this part of? <laughs> Feels very dangerous. Yeah. Both mm-hmm. times she leaves her car, by the way, it's in the middle of the road with her door wide open. But her daughter was in the car <laughs> that yeah. time. Not okay. I actually recorded this, the audio from this. She's walking to the wildlife camera, and she hears a strange sound coming from the woods. And I might play it now. It is a weird sound, and it sounds a little bit like a police siren, but I don't know why there would be a police siren coming from the woods at that time. Josh, do but you watch she, every episode through your headphones? I do, okay. but she stops and she looks into the woods. If you watch it again, she stops and she looks, okay. and it's very strange. But speaking of my headphones, she goes up to the metal camera fixture and opens it and this is just me and something weird about my tv and movie viewing there's a specific sound that is used when oh, she yeah, the, opens the- it yeah oh i hear that everywhere and i'll probably play it right here but that sound is used this is magnificent in- post-production by the way <laughs> this I hear this all the time. Yeah, that sound is—it's like the Wilhelm scream. Yes, when you see some some like nameless person die, and they're just like, or whatever that sound is. It's like they have the same like folder. It's on a Google Drive somewhere, and every movie maker is like, "Yes, that's oh yeah, opening a door, put it in here." (laughs) That's all I wanted to say. (laughs) I have a lot of questions about that wildlife camera, none of which pertain to dark the show or anything that we care about, but like who puts a wildlife camera there? Why is it on the other side of the road? Why not put it in the woods? Like there are woods everywhere in Winden. Why is there a wildlife camera put at the road? Maybe there are reasons for this and feel free to send me a postcard and answer it. Oh, angry listener. But the, I, it's fine. I can, I can get rid of all of my disbelief there and just accept that it was there. (laughs) But I mean, the more important thing to discuss for the wildlife camera is what she learns about. <laughs> True. Right? True. And I have a question for Miss Jen right now. For all of the defending you did of Peter earlier when <laughs> I was certain I that, that was there were issues up. with him. How do you feel now? I don't know what to feel about Peter. And I think that I liked the evolution of revealing the truth about their marriage um, just in terms of they both come out of a different bedroom door in the morning to her visiting the prostitute of sorts. I was really struggling about how to characterize yeah. this prostitute. Because <laughs> sure. it's not clear that they're a trans person. 
it's not clear that they are not. And it's not like, I just don't think the show really goes into it deeply. No. Ultimately, I get that there are lies going on here and there are multiple lies, potentially. I feel less affection and sympathy towards Peter. Absolutely. But I mean, now is as good a time as any to talk about all the things that come up, too. Yeah. Right? Where we see that it's his car. And again, that, like that's one of the mysteries solved immediately. Yeah. You get, not only does it come soon, it's like a cut. You see it in the picture and then you see the actual car and it's amazing. <laughs> but then he goes into his car and he cleans out the red soil. Yeah. I feel like and there's a reason, right? Right? <laughs> Sorry, I feel like I cut you off when you were about to finish your point because I got no, too excited fine. about talking about it. No, go did ahead. You have, did you have something else to add? No, I just, do you feel like this lies guilt on him? Uh. <laughs> I'm not going to say that it is certain. Josh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, in your defense, Jen, I was as shocked as you. Okay, <laughs> he seems innocent. And now that he is carrying this, I mean, I have so much sympathy for... I don't want to say her name in a way that's not appropriate. Francisca? Yeah. Is that acceptable? Jack, please tell us how to say Francisca. No, she did. Okay. Sure, sure. Francisca. Okay. Um, knowing when we talk about her whole speech later with Magnus, um, but knowing that he kind of carries this other secret and burden and concealing his own personal truth adds layers to how I feel about Peter and whether I think these other revelations paint him in a specific way. That's true. I feel like some of the times when he's responding, we don't know if he's responding to whatever happened with this dirt and the car and his cabin, yeah. whatever is going on there, and all, but or his past, whatever happened a year ago. Yeah. Yes. And I will say, from my viewer standpoint, I find myself much more interested in the relational dynamics in this series oh, so far I was, than I do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, wait. Sorry. You were about to say that you're more interested in the relationship dynamics. That's not where I am. Okay. So <laughs> but I do very... agree with you. I do agree with you in the sense that they're so well done and so interesting. Yes. I mean, Charlotte's the actress who plays her. It's amazing when when she is printing out the wildlife camera picture of what she definitely knows is her husband's plate. Yeah. Um, and she has Voller come in, the one eye patch guy, and he asks some stupid idiot questions. I know. Was... And her eyes flit back and forth between the printer because she knows what's printing out and like she doesn't want anybody to see it. The moment when she is at the prostitute's trailer, trailer. love trailer, yeah. and she holds up the picture of her family to show him a picture of Peter, and she She's is like, trembling. Oh, in her face, oh my god, such a powerful moment, and they really make you care about every character. I suspect Peter, I still care about him for all the reasons that mm. you're talking about yeah. as well. Which is a hard... I don't know, place as a reader or a viewer to be at, like, to be able to have, and when I say hard, I mean, that's a really great actor and that's a really good writing to be acting upon. Sorry for my dog's endless 
clackling across we the hardwood We forgive floor. anything. <laughs> we forgive anything that the dog does. <laughs> She's usually so angelic. That's just demonstrative to me of how good of a show this is, that it can make me feel as a viewer simultaneously sympathetic and slightly enraged or disgusted or whatever. And just the complexity of Charlotte's reaction to it, because she clearly is upset with Peter, but loves him and thinks that she's suspicious of him, but also still tries to cover up. Like when she noticed that there was red dirt at the cabin and she kind of thinks about it for a second, but then wipes her hands. I don't know. I just think all of these moments where she doesn't dare to think that maybe he has something to do with it while also continuing to investigate it. It's such a complex line to walk. Okay. So Francisca, daughter of Charlotte and Peter, I think this was a really interesting look into her life and her experience in this episode, which I was intrigued by in episode one because I wanted to know more about her. And obviously Magnus had some interest in her that I think caught my attention at least. But what I liked about her storyline in this episode is just, again, that double life that we see with Peter, we see in her in a huge way between, I know you're going to talk about this later, Tommy, but the scene in the English classroom when I have so many thoughts <laughs> about that. I am excited I to hear is, about this. Do you think it would be called German or just literature? Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And that teacher, I just want to note that I find it very interesting that he was sitting the entire time and just have, let them exactly. leave. <laughs> oh, my God. I have so many thoughts about <laughs> the way that this teacher chooses to run his classroom. It was so bizarre. I mean, it just looked like a college class in a lot of ways where he just lectures at them. But also has no control over what happens and Magnus oh, isn't uh, even in that class and he lets him if, sit okay, there. <laughs> if, a, if a Magnus type walked into my classroom no. and didn't have that class, no, I don't I'm continue. I'm not going to teaching. You go where you belong. <laughs> exactly. You go where you belong, young man. <laughs> and I then they know. both just leave in what clearly looks coordinated. So weird. Yes. Francisca just leaves school and Magnus follows her. We're getting ahead of ourselves. I'm it's, sorry. Yes. No, it was... I this think is I the to... teacher sides of yeah. us, I think, coming out of being like, this is putting teachers in a bad light, and I need That's to let you know honestly... that my classroom would never run like this. <laughs> I cannot watch television with teachers on it and not think this, no matter what it is. And that was a frustrating scene. <laughs> Anyways, yes, I digress. But this whole evolution, I guess I would rather go back to the morning that we meet her and her sister Elizabeth. And the way that she yells at her sister about them. And her parents do nothing. That was so weird to me, too. Mom heard that. She was so mean. I don't remember exactly what she said. but She said, uh, those idiots upstairs might (laughs) buy your little deaf and dumb act with your puppy dog eyes, but I don't buy it for a second. But does she not believe that her sister is deaf? I feel like when you... see a deaf person in a movie or a television show they're always portrayed as like sweet and like oh that little deaf girl how precious um but i felt like there was an interesting dynamic with elizabeth that she was that seemingly innocent and sweet girl but she had this whoa other side to her well Uh, and her smile when francisca calls her out 
uh, on it and she just kind of like grins yeah. like she knows like yeah. she she definitely puts on some sort of front for mom and dad yeah there's a couple things that made me think differently which we can talk about later but ultimately that scene i feel like reestablished francisca's character to me that she is you know bold and strong and fierce in some ways but we see some of those walls come down I think the most interesting thing is obviously what she does outside of school. Well, while we're on this thread of how she treats her sister, I think we should just jump to the end really quick and talk about that really weird reaction where she's so happy to see that Elizabeth is okay. But then the second she's out of danger, she slaps her in the face. She stole her lipstick. (laughs) Is that a big offense? (laughs) Is that like a... I think it was the I have, lie. I have three sisters, and I often <laughs> took things from them. I was never slapped in the face in front of my parents. I have to <laughs> know, like, I don't, yeah, I don't know what a normal family dynamic is between sisters. I don't have a sister. But I could imagine that not being totally insane or wild. The fact that her parents say nothing. They seem weak. In general, in their relationship with each other as parents. I think that their backing away from each other has caused them to back away from their children. Yeah. It's, I don't know. Yeah. Like you say, weak. That's actually the word I was thinking of too. I think it really just exemplifies, all of it exemplifies their weakness and their lack of control of not only their own lives, but also of their children. Yeah. So, I don't know. It makes sense in the way the state of their parents' marriage, why she would get away with the way she treats Elizabeth. And my guess is what we haven't seen, maybe the way Elizabeth treats her. Totally true. Maybe we're brought into the same trap, not trap, but the same trope, perhaps. (laughs) That was so appropriate. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) That you were talking about of, you know, the deaf girl being the blameless. Right. Perfect. What do you guys think uh, the money's for? And follow-up question. Jen, as a woman. <laughs> that was weird. Oh, it's going to make sense. As a woman, <laughs> if a man creepily sits directly behind you in your class, follows you out, watches <laughs> you while you do your ribbon dancing class. That was actually a sweet scene to me. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> what? <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Here's the thing. I loved that scene. <laughs> Because she became someone totally different in that ribbon dancing, in that leotard, in the movements, in her facial expression. She was a different person. And I loved that Magnus got to see her be that girl too, even though she's also the girl in the woods digging out money. And she's being followed by him, yes. But there are too many other tropes, if you will, where the guy sits behind the girl in class and clearly there's a dynamic there and you're drawn in. And even though this story is totally different, that didn't bother me. Their dynamic is weird, obviously. And they're both, I guess the other thing too, for me is when they connect in the locker room. Um, Connect is an interesting (laughs) word to choose. The only thing I'll say about that is 
I feel like I can look at that scene and say, oh my God, they're both so deeply hurting and this is their way to put a bandaid on that hurt. Well, let's, let's actually talk about that specifically. I think this is a really powerful scene and I copied out everything that she says because I think it's so powerful and so it actually reminds me in true English teacher fashion of some other texts that I wanted. Well, Mm. one other text. I don't know why I'm overselling it, but I want to talk about And she says, their marriage is over, but no one will say it. Instead, this big fat secret is always with us at the dinner table. It eats our bread rolls, the butter, and the homemade jam. It gets fatter and fatter until there's no space left in the room until you can't breathe. Oh, so good. That description of of how it feels to be in that house is incredible. It is. Honestly, I wrote down that line in my notes, my journal, because <laughs> it's the kind of line I want to write. Like, that's mm. so good. For me, it made me think immediately. Have you have either of you read The Rocking Horse Winner by D.H. Lawrence? No. Nope. The Rocking Horse Winner by D.H. Lawrence is a book about a little boy growing up in a household that doesn't have money but wants to pretend that they do. And the whole story revolves around a little boy named Paul who lives in this house and there's a lot that goes on and it's really good. You should read it. It's really short. And it's basically the, this, the similarity that drew, drew my attention is there's this idea that there's always this whispering in the house over everything. There must be more money. There must be more money. And uh, like it's behind every conversation and it's always being shouted by the house in every single room. And there's a moment where they get some more money and he thought that it would make the whispers go quieter, but it only made the whispers get louder. And it's all that fills his Mm -hmm. head. And it just reminded me so much of this same sort of idea of this secret that everybody knows is there and it consumes everything and nobody can say it and nobody can actually see or hear it, but we all are aware of its presence. And it's so powerful. I love watching something and finding it connects to something I've read before, watched before, whatever. My dog is getting incredibly antsy to hear more thoughts on this. Um, I think that line is so important too, though, because that's the segue into baby Magnus realizing like, oh my gosh, you're hurting as deeply as I'm hurting. Let's comfort each other. (laughs) That's kind of how I saw it. It also had echoes of Ulrich and Hannah talking Mm. at the bus station or not the station, the bus stop, where he says, you know, he wants to leave Winden. And I mean, that's that's Francisca's whole deal as well. And I just, yeah. that was an interesting kind of echo to me. I was wondering, what does he think the money is for? When I first saw this, I was wondering if he was thinking that this had to do something with his brother, or if she had anything to do with these kids going yeah, missing. I thought that. Too. I was very curious why he was doing that. It might have just been that he has a crush on her, but it was confusing. No, I think she definitely he definitely connects her with Mikkel because they had this whole plan amongst him, Martha, Bartosh, and Jonas to oh god, I'm doing it just like you. And Jonas Thank you. To go get the stash that Eric had left in the recliner. And suddenly she was there. And I think that for him, that's the only variable that he can't make sense of. We were the ones there. 
why was she there? She was an aberration. Therefore, mm. she must have something to do with this aberration of my brother disappearing. That makes a lot of sense. And I think that watching her sneak out of a class and going and digging under a railroad that's been abandoned and then coming back and finding the money in the bag, like all of that only serves to confirm. But then like Jen was saying, he learns that actually she has nothing to do with anything. She is as desperate and as hurting as he is. And I think that moment of vulnerability between teenagers, as weird and sort of cheesy that it was, I understand it. Like, it didn't come out of nowhere. No. Hmm. They have been building that since episode one, I feel like. But a question that maybe I just missed. What did she see on her phone? Or what was she checking on her phone in that scene? We don't know. I thought that he texted her. Okay. I assumed I assumed that he said something to her, but then when he just followed her. Yeah. That can't be it, right? Yeah, that's what I thought. I'm like, that's know. not. I don't know. So she must have. She must have gotten. I, I mean, now I assume that it's information about the drop. What's in there? Yeah, money, money being put there. Yeah. Hmm. hmm. I mean, what I assume is a drop, unless she had been storing that money there. But then, why would she go at that moment? No. Did he Somebody... not say that it's like? Are you selling drugs? Right? He asked, yeah. but yeah. then she didn't answer, and that's when she went into her whole Okay, so I just assumed. Okay. So we still don't know what that money is for okay. or from. But, I mean, maybe Eric and his dad had another accomplice. You never know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I forgot about them, geez. <laughs> okay. Let's just talk about the minor character stories that we get at this point. So there's a little bit about Jonas, a little bit about Ulrich. That we get, and then we're going to close out talking about Elizabeth and Helga, I think. I think that those are the the two good kind of end points for our, our discussion of the episode itself here. And Josh, I think you had said that you had something to say about Jonas? Yeah. So, of course, he gets a lot of spelunking on throughout his days. <laughs> say some light going- spelunking. <laughs> Some lights blinking instead of going to Shula. And <laughs> I found that that scene moment was really that sad, was actually. so yeah. sad, but that also was really sad. I just made fun of it, but it's so sad. I felt like yeah. she was so desperate in that moment for some kind of maybe missing Ulrich, and she thought, "Son, pay attention." To well, me. and the but just the I don't know if this is the English teacher and me speaking, but the patheticness of turning to a teenager (laughs) to support you in that moment and assuming that a teenager would have the empathetic capacity to see that you are hurting and to support you. Teenagers sometimes can be very empathetic, surprisingly so, but when they have an idea of their own, I think that that's goes out the window (laughs) too much to ask. I want to talk about the red knot on the bike when he gets back. Great. Did that, Look like a noose to you guys? No, Mm-mm. I didn't think that it looked like a noose. Not but at now all. I want to go back and look at it. I know. I really thought it looked like a noose, and to me, I was looking through Jonas's eyes, and I was imagining him thinking, "Oh, someone saw me, and they're teasing me in some way. They know about my dad." But oh, I don't know. That's why you're saying it looked like a noose. Holy crap. I did not think that deeply, but it's I interesting. I did not connect that 
at all. But I don't think it looked like a noose. I'm loading up the episode right now. I didn't think <laughs> it looked like a noose. That I feel like that would have stood out to me if it had. But I liked that you said you're looking at it through his eyes. I feel like that's... I like that. <laughs> it's loading. Okay, I'm at the scene. For anybody looking... And our listeners, since podcasts are an audio medium, we are at 23 minutes and 46 seconds remaining in the episode. I can't really see where I am exactly, but 23 minutes, 43 seconds remaining. Okay, he's looking at the bike. Definitely not a noose. No? Definitely not. But it's. I think even though it's not actually a noose, I can see the symbolism that you were drawing For from sure. that. And yeah. even though it's not literally tied into a noose, I think that it mm-hmm. could still carry that same weight. Yeah. It's got to be the stranger. He did seem to be looking over his shoulder, and later he does seem to... He watched him know. enter the cave, looked at his watch, because he knows time-related things, I guess. It's got to mm-hmm. be the stranger. Who else could it be? No, I agree. I guess. <laughs> I feel like you're questioning it because you remember more than I do. <laughs> I don't, I don't. <laughs> I feel like you guys know something that I don't know, so I'm not going to say anything. We know so many things. I know, Actually, we God. Know. Maybe one or two things. <laughs> we know, okay, we know some big things, but actually we don't remember all the little things because <laughs> I watched this over the course of like three days. I believe that's somewhat true, but if I had watched this whole series, I feel like I would have remembered a lot of things. I will tell you that I have not lied to you once (laughs) about what I remember and don't remember. All right. Josh has. (laughs) Oh, I don't think I have either. But believe me when I tell you that when we get to certain things, we will let you know that we knew that. (laughs) Okay. That's fair. So we haven't gotten there yet. No, no. Not quite. All right, let's uh, blast through the end of this episode here. The other big thing is Ulrich in the power plant he sneaks in, and apparently armed guards are allowed to hold the second-in-command at the police station after beating them to the point where they are bleeding. Very appropriate for the time moment in terms of uh, police aggression, I would say. Mm. Absolutely. the... That was so bizarre to me. And the fact that Charlotte didn't even like question it. She was just like, hmm, I can see that Ulrich would have been a little unruly. Yeah. I don't know. She turned to Alexander and she was like, really? And he's like, he resisted. He, yeah. he wasn't a good That's true. prisoner. His power in this moment really makes him feel very mob boss, mafia bossy to me, where he can do something like that. And the chief of, literally, the chief of police says nothing in response. Yeah. I just, it it, it adds to the shadiness of Alexander to me. And she mm. is grateful that they're not pressing charges. Yes. I think additionally, talking about Oric, the images that we get of him when he is sleeping in Mikkel's bed and oh, Katarina gosh. is like aggressively staring at him. But when he comes home and she is standing still with the vacuum cleaner and they're in separate rooms on separate like planes and they're just staring at each other and you know that the unspoken question is, did you find anything? And he just walks upstairs and says nothing. Man, the emotional power of that scene with no words again is just incredible. I agree. There was something about the vacuum cleaner sitting there that just added that layer of, 
oh god <laughs> this is one's like what are you doing katarina i know <laughs> like vacuuming the, the carpet that's not why mickle's coming back oh. <laughs> gotta keep yourself busy <laughs> yeah but she was something. also still. She I wasn't know. like actively. That was the weird contrast of just. It made it really creepy. Yeah. Let's uh, talk about Elizabeth and Helga. We've reached the end. Yeah? yeah. 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 So Elizabeth, we find out actually stole the lipstick, puts it on. Again, speaking to the power of just a generally the power of music and b specifically the way they use music in this show when she walks off they just do a quick low kind of bassy i don't know if it's a cello or a bass but they play this really low note that's like things are about to go down like this is about to be bad her decision to walk home in the rain right now is a mistake and i just think that's a really powerful use of music i don't have anything else to say about that but i wanted to say that and then I have one more thing before we move on to more important things. <laughs> when Peter comes to the school and is like, I'm here to pick up my daughter. I'm here to pick <laughs> up Elizabeth. And the teacher's like, oh, we had class that ended early. Didn't she tell you? I wrote it in her homework notebook is just the teacheriest thing to say in that moment and the impotent ways that I tried to communicate with students and families <laughs> and how it's useless. Didn't you read the newsletter? <laughs> oh, gosh. That scene was another one, though, where I was like, the negligence of this moment, because she's so young. You know, someone should be out there monitoring to make sure no, I don't know, whatever. Well, apparently and, nobody watches anybody in this German high school. I'm going to say. And then she, I mean, this is a deaf girl. So the note written in her, I don't know. It just felt ridiculous. I have a young child. And there is a process. Exactly. Check that child out. You have to sign. You have to take. You have to have, make eye contact. There's no she went home process. with another parent, right? Like, well, especially after not one but two children have very recently gone missing. Okay. So I will say, being the first time that I watched this episode, I 100% thought Elizabeth was missing. And I was frustrated because I thought <laughs> – this is one too many. Like, I can't continue on. This whole thing is so powerful because of Ulrich's speech. And I love the way that the show structures it. Because we get the Obendorfs, who look crazy. And then we get to know Mikkel, and we get to know Ulrich. And then Mikkel goes missing, and we see Ulrich go to the ends of the earth, do everything that he can. And that speech that he has in the car with Charlotte is... You know why? You know why you're not doing anything? Because it's not his kid and it's not your kid. Mm -hmm. And then right after that, the show makes it Charlotte's kid. Yeah. Yep. Such a powerful moment. That was potent. I I was in it with them. And when she found her hat, I was like, okay, <laughs> this is done for. Did she see her hat on the side of the road? Why did she pull over? That was weird. I'm like, how did you notice this? But again, it was a unique hat to a degree. And she's probably Absolutely. on high alert, so. For sure. You want to talk about Noah, don't you? I want to talk about Noah. Talk about Let's it. Let's talk about Noah. Yeah, it's Noah. <laughs> First of all, actually, I wanted to mention this earlier. Did either of you feel that Charlotte talks really, really loud when she's signing at her daughter? Yes. 
yeah. I always, I don't know if that's just because she, her daughter was silent, but I was always like, whoa, Charlotte. But it's also very it's, quiet during that scene, so that kind of makes sense. But it's it's not even just that scene. It's like when she's like, there's a difference between confiscating and stealing. Like, I don't yeah. know. I felt that all of it was so loud. In my mind, the way that I justified it was that she has to be very clear with her expressions and her mouth movements. And I think that may manifest mm. as being louder. But yeah, it's awkward. I don't know. I feel like in this in this episode, we've nitpicked a lot of silly things about the show, but I don't actually feel that way about any of it. Like I love it and I will follow it to the ends of the earth. So I don't know why I'm, I'm drawing an issue with all these tiny things, but just cause it's we're maybe just as who I am. <laughs> don't, don't think into, I'm not going <laughs> to reflect about what that says about me as a person. So she met Noah, apparently who gives her a pocket watch that he, Noah has said that used to belong to Charlotte and it's inscribed for Charlotte. What does it mean? <laughs> Again, this is a situation where I don't remember. I genuinely don't know what this means. Do you remember, Josh? No, I don't. Oh my God, you guys are liars. No, I'm really not. <laughs> but I then, have no incentive to lie to you right now. You know how much I would love to lord <laughs> this information over you. That is true. I would celebrate this moment. But I feel like if this isn't answered in the first two seasons, then that's insane to me. Well, that does the fact that we don't remember doesn't, doesn't mean it's mean not it. answered. But how do you not remember that? Okay. Do you remember, remember how dense every single episode has been? I know, <laughs> I know. You I know, know how we talked about each episode for over an hour? But I would say, I guess Noah feels important. The fact that Elizabeth comes home safely with this story feels important. Because I'm sitting there assuming that she's going to be in the same situation as Mikkel. Oh, and the same situation as Yazin. Oh, gosh. Which, are they just looking for little boys to do things? Ooh. (laughs) Because, yeah, why did they take her? Yeah. Yeah. Because the body obviously was a was Mads, was was a was a boy. No, that wasn't Mads. Was that was not it? Mads? What body? I don't know. It's from the eighties. I don't think that's Mads. Are we talking about the one that we found in episode two? Wait, what body are we talking about? So many bodies. That there was a child missing in the eighties, right? Oh the other missing boy? There's a missing boy, Maz, but the boy from the 80s that we find, I don't think that's Maz. It might be, but I honestly don't remember. Sorry, I was just talking about the missing children. Okay. Okay. Because we've got Mikkel missing, we have a boy from the 80s missing, Okay. and we had the the body found that was a boy. Yes. Is what I meant. So it's all boys. So is it specifically just boys? Mm. Big question mark <laughs> for me. Helg seems to know. The fact that she was a girl and not taken feels significant to me for some reason. Yeah. Because all of the, although I guess Mikkel wasn't, at least yet, he hasn't been like taken, taken. Like he hasn't disappeared in the same way that we think that Mads has disappeared and that this random boy that we find the body of and that Eric have disappeared. So 
Eric's dead, right? We think so. Okay. Well, we saw them we saw them snap the death machine over his eyes. But we also so... saw them dragging a body with red hair, right? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, we did super see that. I yeah. forgot that we saw that. Maybe he's asleep. <laughs> <laughs> sure, or that. Okay. Well then let's move let's move to Helga then. You keep saying Helga. I feel like Sorry. they say Helga. Nope. They don't. <laughs> Is it Helg? It's Helge. Helge. Like with an E at the end. Okay. It's I watched it in Helga. both, so it's struggle. I swear to God, Josh. <laughs> I am going. <laughs> Helge. I mean, in every way, if you listen to what they say, if you read his name, there's no A at the end. I'm sorry that That's I'm not name. German, so I don't say Helge. <laughs> It's fine. I'm not, I'm gonna, I was about to load up the show to listen to it, but it's fine. I trust you. <laughs> so then we finally get the answer that we asked in the very beginning of this episode, which is who is, who is he talking about? Yeah. Which is, he says very clearly and lucidly, Yeah. Noah, I have to tell Noah. Yeah. Josh, say the name of the person that Helge is talking about, please. Noah? I gosh, I you only said it because I set you up for it. Oh it's gosh, true. you're the worst. Okay, I mean, there's not much to say. There's not much to say about that except that it's TikTok, wild and TikTok. it's so sinister. After we see that Charlotte was definitely with Noah, not Charlotte. I'm sorry, with, that Elizabeth was with yeah. Noah. And now we have another biblical name. Oh, oh, that's true. Noah, yeah. protector of the flood. Somebody to so bring humanity and animal life onto some sort of an ark. Do you think that's his actual name? I don't know. It's like a savior okay. of some kind. Yeah. I mean, is that, that's so, this show is so Bible-y. Biblical. Very true. Biblical. <laughs> Bible-y. Possibly the correct adjective. <laughs> All right. Uh, at the very end, there's another very interesting quote that I want to talk about before we get into Lit 101, which is, We are searching for Ariadne's thread, the one meant to guide us along the right path, a beacon in the darkness. We'd love to know our fate, where we are headed. But the truth is that there is but one path through all times, predetermined by the beginning and by the end, which is also the beginning. <laughs> Unbelievable. I'm sorry. I couldn't even hold it together because of how insane that statement is. What do you guys know about Ariadne? Only what Wikipedia told me today. <laughs> Damn, I got to do my internet research. No, you don't. <laughs> you guys do it I for actually me. Okay. don't want you to because say you come across something that will That's give you true. spoilers. Okay, keep it spoiler free. Yeah. Jen, have you seen you the movie in the Inception dark. starring Leonardo DiCaprio? Of course I have. Ariadne is the name of a character who creates mazes. So you might know that this character is very maze-related. It's because in Greek mythology, she gives Theseus, the hero who slew the Minotaur, a sword and a uh, ball of yarn yes. to help him solve the labyrinth and find his path. Okay. Ariadne's thread, which this quote talks about, is specifically a method for trying to figure out how many solutions there are to a problem and which ones are failures. So imagine that you're reading a choose your own adventure book and you have five options that you could choose, right? Turn to XYZ page. You keep your thumb in every single answer and then you follow it out until its conclusion. 
where you either die or succeed. And then you go back to the previous um, decision after the end, and then you choose the other one and see if that leads to another end and how many other choices you have beyond that until you've figured out very systematically every single possible solution that there is to this book. So that's Ariadne's Thread, is a very systematic way of going down different possible kind of decision trees to figure out how many solutions there are. And so this quote specifically is, we're searching for the logical solution to our problems, the best way to get to the best ending. We'd love to know our fate and where we are headed. We'd love to know our path. But the only path is that that leads from beginning to end, which is also apparently the beginning. Which links back to his previous quote, if it is the same speaker. It sounds like the same voice. Yeah. And I have some ideas who it is, but I don't want to say. Aww. <laughs> I don't Are know. the ideas I, born from your memory or born from just your thinking? Actually, just previous episodes. I don't okay. know. I, I don't remember if we even know who this voice is, personally. Just say it. Okay. Well, it sounds like the guy from the video. The Journey Through Time yeah. book guy? Who yeah. was making the machine? Yes. Oh. That's what it sounds like, okay. but I need I to start really watching these getting... episodes through headphones. <laughs> I feel like that gives them <laughs> a better. Oh, are you not? No. <laughs> the sound design in this show is incredible. I will now, good. starting with episode five. Going back to the opening quote, he says, "Would space and time be tied together to be a part of an endless cycle?" And so I think that that's connected to this idea where the end is the beginning as well. Well, and I'm very interested in the use of the word predetermined, mm. and this kind of gets into my lit 101, so maybe I'll stop here, but I'll talk about it at that point. Nice. I think that wraps it up for Lit Takes. Let's move on to Lit 101. Lit 101 is where the tweed jackets, the pretentiousness, and the haughty feeling of self-worth come out, and we talk about the images, motifs, allusions, symbols, connections to other texts. Generally, all of those things you might half remember from your third period English class. Each of us is going to bring up one major point that bears analysis. And since I kind of have a thing that relates directly to the thing that we just talked about in Lit Takes, I will go first. So in the class, the literature class that we were talking about, that's kind of where I wanted to focus my Lit 101 idea. And I wanted to dig into the text that they brought up because I felt, again, that it was very purposeful for them to bring it up. Why Why would they choose that in particular? And the text that they were talking about is by Goethe, Goethe, if you prefer, and a book that he wrote called Elective Affinities. Have you guys ever heard of anything related to elective affinities? Can't nope. say that I have. <laughs> So this is pre-periodic table. This is back when chemistry was much more like alchemy. And the idea was that there are these elements that only will react when there are particular other things that they are with. So let's say you have two elements that when you put them together, they don't do anything. But then when you pair them with some other chemicals alongside, then a reaction will happen. So it it is related to the idea of chemical affinities, elective affinities is what it is called at this point. Uh, Again, this is before the periodic table of elements was created or invented, and we knew very little about chemistry. 
uh, the book that they are talking about is the story of a man and a woman named Charlotte and Edward who are in love. They were both married once and their first marriages were marriages of convenience that ended because both of their spouses died. And so they were able to get together and be married and, and be in love. After a little while, they wanted to invite or the uh, Edward wanted to invite a close friend of his, the captain. And to agree to this, Charlotte said, okay, we can have him live with us, but only if my orphaned niece, uh, Ottilie also lives with us. Long story short, Charlotte falls in love with the captain. Edward falls in love with Ottilie and, uh, Charlotte and the captain share an illicit kiss, but go no further. The, her husband and Ottilie end up having sex and Charlotte is with child with Edward's baby, who she names Otto in homage to both of their parents, illicit love and illicit affair, because she knows that she's actually in love with the captain now and not actually in love with Edward any longer. Edward runs away to the army for a while. Ottilie murders Otto, the baby, and is so depressed by it that she locks herself into her room and starves to death, which is something that they allude to in the episode. And wait, 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 wait. Charlotte murders the baby? No, uh, Ottilie er, murders Otto. So the niece. The niece, the orphaned niece. Okay. And she dies out of depression, and then Edward dies of an illness later. I only go through the plot because the idea has to do with the question of whether or not we actually make choices or if humans are much like chemical elements. And so the question that the book raises is, are human interactions, is human friendship as predetermined, as chemically based, as uh, not related to choice, as when we put together one element with another and we know that there is a reaction that occurs and so it just happens or do we make the choice so do you hold charlotte and edward accountable for their decisions or by putting them on the same pot were you creating an end an end result that was predetermined that tends to be the critical analysis that that goes around this text which i think greatly relates to the opening and ending text where the beginning is the end mm -hmm. and the end is the beginning. That sounds like a trap. There's no way out of that cycle. There's no way out and there's no true choice that can be made. Exactly. Because if, if I'm a character in the future affected by the choice that a character made in the past, can I choose differently? No, because that choice has already been made. The choice has already been made. And from the perspective of the future, the choice has already been made anyway. Everything that happened in 1986, unless it's an alternate timeline, Doc Brown, <laughs> already <laughs> happened. Like, Mikkel's story that. in 1986 with young Katarina and young Ulrich occurred. It's truth. It is... It is events that already occurred in 2019 we are learning about it for the first time mickle is experiencing it for the first time young ulrich young katarina young hannah are experiencing it for the first time but in 2019 it happened and so how could they possibly be making choices 
if we are simultaneously experiencing a timeline in which those choices have been made. This is definitely not the Back to the Future style <laughs> of show. Oh, where certainly the not. pictures are changing. This is more like Lost, which is what happened, happened. Sure. <laughs> I've never seen Lost. Join me for my solo Lost podcast. <laughs> Lost no, After Dark with Tommy. <laughs> Sorry, so that's it. I, I don't have anything to say except that it's just we're continuing to bring up that question of free will versus predeterminism. Mm-hmm. And the fact that predeterminism came up in this quote was very interesting to me. When I researched this text, it was very interesting to me that all of the critical claim around it was do we get to make choices or are our interactions predetermined as well? What bothers me about that is that if you hadn't educated me on it right now, I wouldn't have thought through how purposeful that scene might be. And just that even takes me back to what we were talking about in the last episode with that Tears for Fear song was just like, you just let things happen to you or do you, you know, take a the opportunity to change the course of how things might go because you want some control over it or I don't know. I'm going to think about things differently now. Thank you. Thank Goethe. <laughs> I shall read. I have not read anything by Goethe, actually. I just read <laughs> I summaries on Wikipedia. Had, <laughs> I was going to ask, have you read any of his stuff before? I have read chunks of what he has read. I have not read an entire text from him. (laughs) And certainly not in the original German. Well, I will talk about something of great literary merit in the thread of Red Lipstick. This, as a not having watched past episode four, feels significant. So I'm going to hold on to it, whether it is or not. Um, And if I come to find out it's not, then hey, it's all good. But I'm thinking of specifically, like when I teach The Great Gatsby, color symbolism is super important. We talk about what every color means. Um, It represents so many different things. And the reason the red lipstick stood out to me in this episode is because of what's said in episode three with the Hannah Katerina high school 1986 conversation. Wow. That's actually really interesting. I didn't even put that together. Continue. I f- see. I felt like this was too low hanging fruit. I'm like, uh, whatever. But, you know, she starts with, in that conversation in episode three, the first thing was that song you were talking about last Genie episode. by Falco. Yeah. That um, a guy takes a girl to the forest because she's wearing red lipstick. And then- yeah. Hannah says... They literally go to the forest and she's not wearing those... <laughs> Sorry, that's crazy. I can't believe I didn't put this together. Please continue. Oh, it took me to the third rewatch for me to get there. <laughs> <laughs> this is a girl thing because red lipstick is very like... This is significant to me. And then Hannah says... Her dad says only prostitutes wear red lipstick or something to that effect. So when Elizabeth puts the red lipstick on, I'm like, oh, my God, she's going to be taken in the forest. And when she decides to be or to walk home, I was seriously fretting just because of that line before. She took out the red lipstick. She puts it on, which, by the way, 
for her, what I would kind of waffle between her innocence, like I know she gives Francisca that smirky smile in the beginning, but when her mom drops her off at school and she kisses her on the forehead, like there's this touching weird vacillation between, oh my gosh, you're so precious. But then she has that conversation with, what's her boyfriend's name? Yasin. Thank you. Um, about the snails. Mm-hmm. And I know that was just like a cute. That's such a little kid understanding of sex, though. It really is. I would say she's still very sexually innocent. I don't discount that. But I'm also like, this is a really weird fact for a child to know that this happens. And there's something about that fact that asserts like female strength and like female superiority that I feel like in sharing that she's like, yeah, I'm a strong woman. I don't know. Or I'm a Sandrist, whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, geez, I don't know that I'd go to Miss Andrist. <laughs> but I, I, it's funny. I feel like that's definitely a fact that I would have known when I was younger. Like that doesn't feel weird to me at all. Okay. I wouldn't have known it. <laughs> and I didn't have the internet Not- to research such things. That just feels like the thing that would have caught my attention as a kid as like, oh, this is a thing that's different about boys and girls. And I'm going to remember it because it's, you know, I'm not supposed to. It's like, totally. it's a level of knowledge that I'm allowed to know, but it's still kind of like, ooh. It, I get that. But I'm also like, where did you learn that? I don't remember that coming up in science class or. Wait, what are you guys talking about? The fact that uh, Elizabeth tells Siyasin about the snails. Oh, Okay. It seemed like you guys were not talking about snails. <laughs> Sorry, snails <laughs> and sex between snails. Okay, snail sex. And then what happens? <laughs> you don't remember the snail sex unit? And how old is she? Eight year old? I don't Actually, know. Is it a high school? So Mikkel is eleven. We learned that in this episode, and she does not like him. So she yes, must be in the same class. That's true. So they're in sixth grade together. Yeah, probably. That's true. So anyways, she puts on the red lipstick and that's, you know, leads to the meeting of Noah and the coming home. By the way, she puts it on correctly. Very well. Yes. Like she puts it on her bottom lip and then like puckers her lips. How do you know this so well? I was in theater. Okay. And I have three older sisters. I know how to put on a, a, a lipstick or two. Okay. Another question. The other quote unquote prostitute in this episode was Why did you put that- quotes around who is obviously a prostitute? <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> the prostitute in this episode, The yes. prostitute in the episode. Red lipstick? I'm going to say yes, but I can't verify that with certainty. I'm going to say my memory says yes, but I don't trust my memory. I, I know. Yeah. I feel like – I'm also thinking back to Claudia, too, and that scene where she's putting on her lipstick in episode three. So I feel like I did not expect lipstick. I feel like you're really good at coming up with these things that I never would have considered that are really important symbols. You brought out hoodies in like episode one. You're bringing up <laughs> lipstick now. And I feel like you're always so bashful about it. But there's such wide reaching symbols that you end up picking up on. And it's so wild to me that I didn't see it because it's right in front of me. That's what and you're just pointing it out. It's wild. And they keep going every episode. It's tons of hoods. Yes. <laughs> Lipstick all over the place. And I can't oh, do anything but think about hoodies anymore. It's and just I can't low hanging fruit. Every That's time all I see I a character with extra red lips, I'm gonna be like, eh. it's not. I'm it's missing important. it. I'm missing the fruit. 
You did a great job. I think the thing that makes it stand out to me, though, is if I go back to like the 1980s and the 1990s, like red lipstick, and probably still now to this day, though I don't wear it, is like a power move. Like if you wear red lipstick, you want to be noticed, you want to draw attention to your lips. Like there's there's a significance to choosing that color. But when Elizabeth puts it on, goes into the woods, I think she gets whatever taken by whatever. Um, I don't have a clear answer for that. But to come home and tell the story of Noah, and then for that to be the reason when Francisca sees her and it's kind of like, oh, my sister, I'm so glad you're home. Like, again, that soft side of her to, oh, wait, you did steal my lipstick, you bitch. And she slaps her. So I, I feel like it contains layers of meaning of this just female thing to assert your power and to assert your age and to show maturity, which I think Elizabeth is in some ways longing for, especially having this boyfriend and... Oh, absolutely. In the naive attempt of all children to be old. Correct. And knowing the thing about the snail, and we can even add that in, but I don't know. I just think the power of red. So I was just trying to think about other things that were red. And the only thing I could remember was Mickle's jacket when he was walking into the high school, because that scene stands out to me still. But... I'm just going to be paying attention to red things from here on out. I feel like there's a meaning because it's such a colorless show overall. And I want to well, notice. we know that blood is not red in this show. <laughs> Thanks for that <laughs> reminder. Really <laughs> it's, it's a black oily color. <laughs> yes. I would say red and yellow both yeah. really stand out in this mm-hmm. show to me. I agree. Red and yellow. Yellow from the Gats- Great Gatsby, just because you brought it up. Of course. Symbolism of death and decay, and I would say. And fake money. New money. Fake money, whatever. Both What's true. the difference? <laughs> They're both true. <laughs> We're all extremely wealthy. <laughs> I'm going there, guys. I'm doing it again. What are we talking about? We're going to talk about numbers. Ah, you've set a precedent. Okay. Did you do a new Wikipedia search? I did. So, <laughs> <laughs> the reason why I'm bringing this up is because last week I brought up the number 33. But this week, I noticed that triangle shape. What did you call it, Tommy? A triquetra. The triquetra. And I feel like three is also an important number in this show. In general, we have the three generations that this story is about with the families. And, I mean, 33 is repeated again and again, and that is two threes. And we have this triangle shape. So... I did some Wikipedia searching and like before throwing the number three on the wall as it is spaghetti to see what sticks later. And there's a lot of things about the number three that I didn't know and that I didn't realize that I think could have some relevance. So to start with Pythagoras, he said the number three, he called it a triad is the noblest of all digits for some reason, but it's a it's a it's an important number. Now, I think that it's interesting that three is the dimension number in which we exist in time, the third dimension, and a lot of the show deals with that as well. And the shape, the triangle that is mentioned, is a 
a polygon that is used quite a lot in construction. It's a very strong shape. But more importantly, I want to get to the religion section of the number three. Now, there's a lot of three symbolism in Christianity. There's obviously what's the concept of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus rose from the dead on the third day after his death. The devil tempted Jesus three times. There was also the the Magi giving three gifts. But going beyond that to Judaism as well, Noah had three sons. Let that sink in. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The prophet Jonas spent three days and nights in the belly of a large fish and kind of going back to... Jonah, you can just say Jonah. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I was doing that specifically to annoy you. (laughs) This is a great podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And also the death and resurrection, the three-day period as well. The period of... uh, Jesus's ministry was said to be three years as well. And I don't know if any of this is relevant to the story. Well, I mean, three is just a very significant pattern that we look for a lot in as humans. So past, present, future is obviously three. That Mm -hmm. comes up to me. The comedy rule of threes also comes to my mind as well, where things are funny when you do them three times. Mm. There is something significant about the the number three. One thing that I also saw was that when we count one, two, three, even when we clapped into this episode, we count to three. It's a common thing. Everyone counts to three to be in synchronicity. And again, with time. $5 word over here, synchronicity. <laughs> but yeah, that's the number three. It's an important number. We'll see if it has more importance later. According to Schoolhouse Rock, it's a magic number. <laughs> That's true. Side note, did you guys notice that Helg said tic-tac? Tic-tac. Tac? He says tic-tac. I was reading talk, so maybe I I know, that's what I think. I hear it how I read it. This explains everything right now. (laughs) (laughs) I heard tac because it's correct. He says tic-tac. Oh my God. I'm going to start listening to my head. Just learn German. If you're going to be this way, you have to learn German. (laughs) I actually looked this up, and in terms of the onomatopoeia, this is the common phrase for many languages. In certain countries, different countries have a different onomatopoeia for different animal noises. Like, for example, Russia, pigs go noof, noof, instead of oink, oink. And for most countries, clocks go tick-tack instead of tick-tock. I don't know. I just wanted to bring that up <laughs> for no reason. What do you think? <laughs> to show us what do you wrong. think that it relates to? Wait, you don't have anything to say other than you just noticed it? I just noticed it. He says it a lot, though. He does. So I'm surprised I didn't hear it that way. You guys really need to watch the episode again. You've missed a I lot. I feel like yes. <laughs> hmm. I can't imagine that that has any significance <laughs> other than the cultural difference between... America and Germany. I just want to hear it. That's the only importance to it. Yeah. That's really the only reason why I wanted to bring it up. It may be like a Raider bar type significance later. Who knows? Season three. Can we talk about that rapper? 
Do you have something to say? No, I just was bothered by it. And I will say I noticed that it looked like a Twix bar wrapper. That was the first time I saw it. Well, now that we know, it's like you can't stop seeing it. It's like when you bring up hoodies, now I can't stop seeing hoodies. But I feel like I would have noticed it regardless. I would have been like, oh, that looks like a Twix bar. I don't know. Golden whatever the lettering is. Write in. Send a postcard to Lit After Dark. (laughs) Uh, We want to know, do you think it looks like a Twix bar wrapper? It does. (laughs) That's all we need to know. All right. Well, that ends Lit 101, and we move on to Still in the Dark. This is where we talk about questions that are still agonizingly out of our reach by the end of the episode. And I'm just going to open because I am already talking. My question, obviously, who's Noah? Where is Noah? (laughs) Yes, Noah. That's my only question. It's a good question. In fact, that was the last question I literally wrote. WTH, Noah. But I also wrote The Stranger because I wasn't sure. Okay, so I'm going to bring this up as a very subtle observation. There are lots of tree shots. Oh my god, I wanted to talk about this actually. I'm sorry, I just stumped all over you. No, you're fine. I appreciate your enthusiasm. I just... I've been writing it down in my notes each time that I see it, and I feel like it's significant, and I don't have anything to explore with it at this point other than now I'm watching for it all the time, and the trees are always barren. You have an answer? Well, I have a thought. My father, for years growing up, was a tree planter, and he spent his summers planting hundreds of trees in the forests of Canada. Joshua Appleseed. (laughs) Correct. The interesting thing that he said was when he was a child, he would be in the forest. Then suddenly there would be an empty space of just torn down land. But what was put there and the reason why it was torn down was because of power lines. Mm -hmm. And you see that a lot in this show. When you have that open space in between the forest, it's... Trees taken down because of power lines. Again, we have that nature versus technology. Well, and the magic... Sorry, I didn't mean to make you go off, but I'm so excited about all of this. (laughs) The magic of the forest. The forest always looks so mystical when they walk through it. There's this hanging fog that speaks of mystery and wonder and things beyond human understanding. And every shot is so full of it. And I... Love that concept of nature as being impenetrable to some level when it comes to human technology and human ability to understand. So we can do all the studying we want. We can be Charlotte drawing our pictures of dead birds, and we can try to understand the universe and the elective affinities, but there is some aspect of it that is always inscrutable and ineffable. And I love that this magic I don't know. It's it's not even spoken in the show. It's just shown through these shots that you brought up. I'm so happy that you brought it up because it so speaks to the power of nature and the mystic nature of the forest itself. And it is so neat. So back to questions. Not only do we need to know who is Noah, but who is the other guy? Or should we ask, when is Noah? Uh, Am I right? (laughs) Actually, I said that as a joke, but maybe it's real. (laughs) (laughs) But the acorn doll that Yasin sees and talks to that guy, 
that didn't look like the stranger to me. But it's hard to know. How could you tell? <laughs> yeah, it was just a dude in a hoodie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it seems like the hoodie was different in some way. I, I agree with that. Very close. Do you think it was the same person who was dragging Eric's body? Oh, jeez. Yeah, I've had that idea that there's two hooded figures, the stranger and someone else. Because we have too many scenes where we see the stranger and we see this other hooded figure and I know that there's weird things with time, but I don't know. Yeah, and you'd think if the stranger were the murdery type, he would have murdered Jonas in his bed instead of just drawing on his map. Yeah. But maybe I'm wrong. If you're a murderer, write in. Let me know. How do you choose your murder victims? Oh, gosh. <laughs> this is also now a true crime podcast. <laughs> okay, the other big question that I have is the... Pocket watch, right? Yeah. Mm. Obviously, watches is a symbol of time, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Everything we've talked about before. But where, what is that pocket watch? Did Charlotte actually own it previously? Therefore, does Charlotte know Noah then? Like, are they, is it somebody from her past somehow? Is he related to the disappearance of Eric? Is he related to the disappearance of Mikkel? Is he related to, I mean, obviously he's related to I was going to say is he related to Elizabeth, but obviously he's related to Elizabeth, but not related physically, but related to her missingness. Yeah. She didn't seem overly confused in that scene to me. Yeah. Like she just seemed like, I, I know something here. So I don't know. Really? Yeah. I felt like she looked at that watch like it was on fire suddenly when she said that. I didn't get that sense, but again, it's probably something I need to rewatch, but I feel like Charlotte is full of secrets in terms of 33 years ago and all her connections to the past, that there is something else she knows here, but I have not watched it all the way through before, so. Well, hey, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We, as you might be able to tell, love this show. This one was longer than usual because this episode was more complex than usual and we will continue to talk about it through the upcoming season three so we will see you next time for season one episode five truths how many raider bar rappers will we find was elizabeth's fox beanie store-bought or homemade do all german girls take ribbon dancing in high school whose eardrums will burst next find out next time on lit after dark and remember Keep it lit. If you like this podcast, please give us a review and a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. We may be reading some more reviews out in the future. If you'd like, you can email us at litafterdarkpod at gmail.com with questions or comments. That's L-I-T-A-F-T-E-R-D-A-R-K-Pod at gmail.com. You could follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Lit After Dark Pod. Thank you to Luke Van for our theme song. You can follow his work on YouTube. That's Luke Van with two N's. <laughs> <laughs>